And then we're like, wait, we're on a river kind of near the equator. We turned to the guy, you know, he spoke a little bit of English, you know, and he said, do you guys have a lot of malaria here? And he's like, oh, yes, yes, very much malaria. I'm like, um, so that means you like probably like know how to deal with it and prevent it and, <laughs> you know, medicate it, right? He's like, oh, no, most most get malaria. Most most do. And we're like, oh, so you have like, you know, a lot of good like medicine for afterwards. He's like, oh, no. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 419. At over 1.5 million square feet, Malbork Castle is the world's largest castle. Anyone know what country that's in? Take a guess, and I'll let you know at the end of the show. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who's the co-founder and CEO of Trip Scout, who traveled back and forth to Europe by himself as a nine-year-old, who's been called the modern-day Marco Polo by Forbes, and who now, like myself, is traveling with two little ones in tow, Conrad Valiszewski from Trip Scout. Conrad, thanks for joining me. Huge welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of the show and have listened to many of episodes and you know obscure places around the world on trains or in planes. So it's good to good to be chatting with you. That is the best way to listen to this podcast. I think I love when people say like they'll send us a Instagram or whatever an email and be like, I'm on the chicken bus from, you know, some <laughs> random tiny city to some other city and I listened to this one. It was so great and I'm like that's how it should be consumed. Not that you shouldn't consume it in the car and at the gym, but that's how it should be consumed, right? I mean, just Agreed. around the world, and and I love it. Um, awesome, man. Well, I, I love the little bit that I know about your story from doing a little bit of digging. One of the things that struck me is that you were nine when you were traveling back and forth to Europe, so it's been in your blood for a while. How like Walk us through why, because I think that story is pretty interesting, and then also... How did that type of travel at such an early age impact you? Because when I was eight or nine, I was going back and forth to Florida, um, which is a little bit different than going back and forth to Europe. Yeah, no. So, I mean, that's really what hooked me into the life I live now. Uh, so when I was, well, uh, to go back, my parents were both political refugees. They were part of the revolution in Poland, uh, fighting against the Soviet Union. And I think they both had a little bit of that wanderlust gene. They both wanted to to travel and uh, live in, or go to different parts of the world, but obviously couldn't because they were restricted. So, uh, but once they came to America, uh, then they got married, had me. Uh, my dad ended up moving back to Poland. And so I would spend uh, yeah, a lot of my summers and every other Christmas going uh, back and forth. And this was this was pre nine eleven, so like my mom would like you know walk me to the gate, uh, drop me off, 
And then, you know, my dad would be waiting for me at the other end. And the very first time, like, so I did that a few times with them as I was a really young kid visiting family. Uh, but the, the first time that, you know, my dad moved back and I was going to visit him, I was nine years old and they, they had this program where they, you know, escorted you to, you know, obviously like a responsible adult made sure you got to the next place. So my mom dropped me off. Someone was waiting for me at uh, either Amsterdam or Frankfurt is where I always connected. And then they would take me to my next gate to get on the plane uh, to go to Poland. And then someone would walk me through customs and everything. And my dad would be waiting there. And the very first time I did that, you know, they, at my connection, they took me out and then they stuck me in this like cubicle with like four other kids. One kid was like sneezing and had snot running down their face. And it was just like, it was like this, like almost like I was in a quarantine uh, with other kids other kids who were traveling by themselves and I was stuck there for like six hours, you know, and they gave you like little snacks, but I was like, man, that was horrible. I'm never doing that again. And so the next time I, uh, was flying, I, as soon as like they got me on the plane, they said, Hey, sit right here. As soon as we land, the person's going to come on the plane and escort you. And I was like, cool, no problem. And, uh, as soon as we landed the first cup, like the first couple that was traveling together that looked like they could be parents. I just like, snuck right behind them and kept looking at them like you know there I was with them even though they didn't notice that I was doing that and just walked off the plane I was like how hard can it be you know just like go find a letter d and a le- you know number 5 that's where your gate is uh and you know even though I was just in a major international airport it for a 9 or 10 year old at that point that was the most freedom that I've ever experienced and so you were just like you know, in a new place, like the signs look different, little different colors, like they're, the sounds are different, you hear different languages, you hear, you have different smells with the different uh, restaurants in the airport. And it was just like, it was like ultimate freedom. And I was like, you know, as a, as you know, as a kid, like, walking around what I thought was Amsterdam or Frankfurt for all intents and purposes. Um, yeah, it just was this very, you know, liberating moment where, I just like for a few hours, no one in the world really uh, was knew where I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or bothering me. And so it was, it was kind of this, uh, this, uh, this really cool moment. Uh, and then that got me hooked. And then, uh, and then, yeah, when I would spend time in, with my family in Poland, it's, you know, for us to go on a trip somewhere in Austria or, or Hungary or Germany or France, like, you know, everyone was European. So it wasn't as big of a deal. Like they weren't rushing to go see the Eiffel Tower. They were going to just hang out in a neighborhood and eat good French food. So I did get exposed very early on to just kind of not sort of the flash tourism, but the just go hang out somewhere else and go explore. And so, yeah, I thought it, it just kind of got me hooked at a at a young age, and uh, it's been a big part of my life ever since. Did you tell your parents, or your dad, I guess, when you got to Poland, did you tell them? Were you like, hey, dad, I was in the airport alone. Like, I did I the, uh, the yeah, security or whatever. I don't think so. I, I don't <laughs> remember. Um, I, I don't think so, uh, but because uh, I think they, I would have assumed that they would have put a squash to my, <laughs> sure. my little scheme. Uh, and uh, But it's funny, because like, and I see this now with kids, is like, the the traits uh you admire in adults like the ability to like kind of like figure out your own way to do something like that are like the things you're like very afraid of your kids doing and so like i'm sure when i tell them uh you know i've told them since and like they've been very proud of that story but like had i told them 
when I was a young kid, I think that would have made them very, very nervous. Yeah. What was it like then? Or maybe it was normal. I don't know. With this idea of going back and forth to Europe and exploring around Europe as a, as a younger kid and, and, you know, that's where your, your parents grew up. Was it like, cause you were in America when you came home, let's say for the summer after the summer was over and you went back to school, did you think it was different? Did you know it was different? Did it, you know, because I, I didn't have that experience as, as a young kid, you know, again, I'd go down to Florida, I'd go to the beach, the Jersey shore or something. And that was fine. But did you get a sense that you were doing something that was different from your peers at all? Yeah, good question. There, there is something beautiful and, you know, and, you know, missed opportunities about how naive you are as a kid where everything seems normal. So to me, the world did seem small and accessible, but had I did recognize something was very different because had I lived in New York City or Chicago where I live right now, uh, I don't think it would have been that unique, but I was living, uh, right outside Nashville, Tennessee, and I was the only one in my school who really did that. I was the only one whose parents had an accent. I was the only, uh, I was the only, the least that I know of, uh, the, the person that kind of had my, my lifestyle or background. And most of like what you're saying, most of my friends were going to Florida for, uh, for their summer vacation. And so it, uh, it did come across as very unusual, uh, very, uh, you know, weird for lack of a better word as a, as a kid. Um, but it made me just appreciate, uh, the, the differences and diversity that I experienced, uh, at a young age so much more. And so it made me, it made me crave that a lot more. And, you know, I think there's, a. um, I certainly don't want to stereotype, but there's a lot of like stigma that you could imagine like being in the South, especially, you know, 20 years ago or so, like it just wasn't as, as open-minded of a place as you would imagine, like some of your major cities to be. And so to me, like living that life, I think really, uh, really had an impact and, and, uh, and wanted me to go you know, move to other places and seek out other places. Did that, do you think that had an impact then on your entrepreneurial spirit? This idea that you had seen stuff as a kid that other people hadn't, you had kind of, you know, without putting it in these words or knowing it as a nine or 10 or 11 year old, you had pushed boundaries a bit. You had done stuff different. You had broken out of this small town feel. Um, Do you think that played a role in it or is there some other, kind of spark or tipping point for you where you said, okay, I'm going to be doing something a little different from the norm of a a regular nine to five job. Yeah, it was correlated because I think the entrepreneurial gene came from just being the child of immigrants. Uh, Both, you know, both of my parents came to the U S with, and they came separately before they were married, 50 bucks in their pocket, not speaking any English and just kind of had to figure out how to make it happen. And so I think that to me had the biggest impact, which is obviously correlated with why I was going back and forth to to Europe as a kid. But uh, yeah, that was, that just kind of like had this, you know, from a very young age, I was, you know, starting lawn mowing businesses or like, you know, and burning mixtapes when that was was a thing. Like that, uh, 
that uh, that just came from you know living in a in a house where you just kind of figured out how to how to survive and thrive and not expecting like to go down the traditional path that you know your parents went down because yeah my my grandparents were still still in Poland and uh, living a very different life right like there was no traditional path because you weren't planning on upping and moving to another country right like your yeah, parents I mean, I had guess done. The, the traditional path would have been I would have started a revolution which right. uh, I was always as a kid like very uh, very like jealous. I was like, well, where, where's going to be our big, my big fight? Uh, and so, you know, obviously I'm still young. So there's still, there's still time. There um, you go. You still got your revolution in you, man. Yeah. You still got your revolution. Oh yeah. I'm just, I'm just waiting for it. Yeah, absolutely. So then what did that look like for you as far as, as travel when you became old enough to make your own decisions of like, all right, you know, I've been going back and forth to Europe because that's where my dad is. When was the first moment for you where you made the conscious decision that you were going to be a traveler or you were going to take this and, and take an adventure? Yeah, there. So I dabbled in it as an, you know, as an enthusiast, uh, as much as I could, but there was, there was one moment. So I had two passions, right? Entrepreneurship and business and then travel. And there was one moment where I, I had a business that was going well um, we, I, I had three projects I was working on, um, that were, you know, on both, they're all in different parts of the country. So I was sitting there in my office, had a really late night, got, uh, got all the projects done, you know, sent them out. Everyone's like, yay, thumbs up. It was like 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I sat back and I looked down, I was in, living in Chicago at the time. And I realized I was like, no one asked where I was. And no one cared. Like they called me and they emailed me and I, as, and they had questions. And as long as I answered and responded, no one ever started the question of like, where are you right now? And like, <laughs> right. you know, one, I was in Chicago. One of the uh, clients was in Chicago. One was in New York. One was in California. And even the Chicago one, I wasn't physically in person with them. And so I, and I looked outside and it was, it was actually one of the worst blizzards of Chicago history. Um, and, and I was like, wait, if no one asked where I was, like, why the hell am I in the worst blizzard of Chicago history when I could be anywhere? And so I, uh, I started with a little experiment and this was like a little bit before like digital nomad was uh, actually a thing, uh, or, you know, where you heard the term being used. And so I was just like, you know what, what if, what if I just like, you know, I don't know, went to Europe and like, uh, went to saw a few places and met up with family and just worked from there. I wonder if that would work. Uh, and it did. And then I went to the Middle East and kept doing it. And it worked like, you know, again, people would call, people would email, but no one would say, uh, where are you? Uh, and I would never hide or lie. I would just, sure. you know, it just, they didn't just didn't up. care. <laughs> I mean, they, you were getting <laughs> and, the work done. So what, yeah, did, what did they care? And occasionally sometimes it would, uh, and you know, they'd say, where are you? And I'm, oh, I'm in Istanbul. And they're like, oh, cool. So by the way, can you, <laughs> and, and we'd move on. And then uh, so then I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go do something, uh, a little bit bigger. And so I flew to Cape town, uh, and then I worked my way up the Eastern coast of Africa, uh, over time by, by land. Um, and, uh, and just kept working. I mean, you know, I'd find like the one Wi-Fi spot in the whole, you know, the whole area and, uh, to get work done, I would take my, you, I would always have my U S SIM card if SIM cards were never near, weren't as easy to get and certainly weren't as reliable as they are now. 
Um, so I'd always have my US SIM card and I would just, you know, I would just take pay the global roaming because I would, you know, I might have incurred $1,500 of cell phone bills, but I didn't have rent. I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have uh, insurance, car insurance, all the things that like come with like living, in, you know, life in a major U.S. city. Uh, and so even though my cell phone bill went up, like it, I was able to keep the same U.S. income and just, you know, travel up, you know, through places like, you know, Mozambique and Uganda and Rwanda and Kenya. And it was and it worked. It worked great. So like that was that was where I think it really hooked as uh, as an adult. What what and year? Was when was that? What year would that have been? Oh, that would have been like maybe 2010. Okay, and how, something and like how that, old yeah. were you at that point? Young 20s, okay. mid mid 20s, mid uh mid Yeah, so, 20s, so yeah. it was it was early on in the game, both both in your life, you know, early mid 20s and then as you mentioned, kind of early on in this digital nomad location independent movement. Not that people weren't doing it but it certainly hadn't entered the lexicon as it you know in the same way that it is now you didn't yeah you didn't have like remote year and uh and like you know phones used to be locked by default (laughs) you didn't have uh um you didn't have co-working spaces all over the world and you know reliable high-speed internet so yeah it was people were doing it i met some fascinating people doing it as well but uh, not uh it was i think it wasn't as uh as common as it as it is today and what did your trajectory look like then? So that was, let's say, 2010, and you you just you kind of happen upon this idea of being a digital nomad, being location independent, working from wherever you want, and finding that it that it works and that no one cares and that you're still getting your work done. How long did you continue that? Like, how long was that phase of your life? And then what eventually? Because now you're in Chicago, and I and I know you travel still, but. You you know now you've said all right I've got a home base and, and this is where I'm based out of S- same as us you know we we had that phase of our life and now we're in this this next one how long did that last for you and where was the was there again like a defining moment that said okay you know I'm kind of done that nomadic thing for right now yeah it wasn't uh, so I did that for about a year uh, and I had, I came back. Uh, really just to propose to my girlfriend at the time now, now wife and you know, mother of two children. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, so I came back for that and it was never, it was never really as like planned out and intentional. Like I was, Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be full time traveling. Uh, the next thing I did, I became, uh, uh, and, and it was really like the business was going well, but it was just not something that I wanted to see long term. And it was, uh, it was a consulting based business. So those are, those are, I had to decide if I wanted to create a nice lifestyle or if I wanted to create something really, really big and interesting. And, uh, and I just wasn't ready to like just have a lifestyle business. Cause I'm also very passionate about you know, growing and creating stuff. And so, um, so I guess one thing that will kind of like parlay, uh, into this is like, while I was traveling, I'd started a travel blog just on the fun, like on the side for fun as like a creative outlet. Uh, and it ended up getting a pretty nice following about 75,000 people. And like through that, I got to, you know, work with different destinations and work with different travel brands and, you know, what is now called, you know, other influencers. And it got me deep into the travel community, not just as a traveler, but also from the business side. So that planted a lot of seeds 
for what I'm doing today. But when I, when I came back and I realized like, you know, like, cool, I think I need to move on to the next entrepreneurial chapter. Uh, became a chief operating officer. We started a company called speak, uh, with a couple guys that just got it off the ground. I hope I joined them and we raised uh, a few rounds of venture capital. And, uh, and that was kind of like, that was growing so quickly and moving so quickly. And then you raise capital that kind of required, it just kind of involved where I was, uh, stateside a lot more. And, you know, we had, we, we incorporated, uh, more of a remote culture into the company. Uh, not fully, but like a, a number of people were remote. So I, like, I use that as an ability to like the whole month of December and the whole month of August, I would go work out of Southeast Asia or South America or something like that. So I would, so I still did a lot of traveling, um, and would still take, you know, like four, four day weekend, long weekend trips. And so travel was a big part of it. It just evolved to having more of a home base. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then once we, uh, we got acquired and I finished the transition and, you know, there's, it was really, it was really two, two factors. Like one on a personal side, I didn't want my love for travel and my love for entrepreneurship to be in conflict. I wanted them to be in harmony. So I wanted the next thing to absolutely combine and marry the two. But really what was eating at me, just like, you know, still being deep in this travel community was that the modern traveler has changed significantly. If you look at our relationship with travel, why we travel, how we travel, what we hope to do when we're there, what we hope to get out of the experience, how we want to share those experiences with our friends afterwards, all of that looks radically different than it did 10 to 20 years ago. But if you, if you look at every single product and service you use across the entire industry, nothing has changed in 20 years since it first came online. With the exception of, you know, you might stay in an Airbnb or you might take an Uber from the airport the entire industry was stuck in this like 2001 TripAdvisor orbits model. And I just thought it completely lost the shift of like a generation of travelers. And I, you know, as you look at like the history of the travel industry, like I think you have like what used to be like the, the national geographics was like, you know, the hero was the, you know, or like the hero of the journey was the explorer. And then that evolved into like, the lonely planets and Frommers and Rick Steves. And it was like the expert was the, the hero of the the journey. And then that came to like the dot com boom and TripAdvisor and Yelp and all those were like, no, the masses are the experts, you know? And then I think we went through a temporary, like, you know, the last 10 years of like 2008 or nine till now, where it was like, cool. It's basic, you know, it's the, the Anthony Bourdain and Instagram, basically said like look the the travel influencers the the thought leader they're the hero of the journey and i think like we've moved past that into a new generation where it's like no every person's trip is unique their travel is their own form of self-expression it's kind of like the new white picket fence was for our parents generation and i think people are looking to get a lot of different things out of their experience and uh and really incorporate a lot more travel into their lives and i just thought no one no company was there for that generation, and so wanted to create a company that led uh, that led that uh, that cultural shift. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I love that you. I love the way you 
put that as like who was the hero and just the progression, progression, progression. I think, you know, obviously you and I would both agree that there are a lot of positives about modern day travel, right? Uh, one of it being that it's crazy accessible for most people, at least people who are in our situation, right? There, Of course, there's people around the globe who, you know, the last thing on their mind is travel. The first thing on their mind is, you know, surviving and whatnot. But if we're talking about people who are in our situation. Um, you know, I talk to people nowadays who I am, sh- you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just taking this. I remember specifically I, I started traveling a ton and I had been working as a teacher with this girl who was my age. And, you know, she had she never really traveled or didn't care about traveling. And I, I, I came back from one of my travels after leaving that job for you know, it was like three years since I had kind of seen her or two years and we were catching up. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm taking this trip to like Thailand and Bali next month. And I'm looking at her like, what? I thought I was the only one who was going to Thailand. But, you know, I thought I was this here I am breaking the mold or whatever. Not like I'm breaking the mold. There's a million digital nomads here. But, you know, in my mind, it was like I'm a traveler. I'm going there. Her saying it, it was a little bit of kick to my pride, but I was also very happy. I'm like, whoa, here's just what I would consider a very regular person, regular job in a regular school in suburban Philadelphia. And she's going across the world to Thailand and taking this trip. And uh, to me, that was like a turning point in my head of saying, so many people out there can, and so many people of this generation are taking advantage of it, which is neat. And, and, and which is awesome, right? Uh, you know, so for you then, what do you see Trip Scout, like what do you see the hole that it's filling or what is the issue that people are facing or the problem they're having that Trip Scout solves for them? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, it, I'll give you a little context, like how we got here. Um, so in addition to like my, that vision and like my experience, we, uh, we did something really interesting when we started. So, uh, and I mean, it was quite, it was pretty nuts, but like, I think pivotal, uh, when we, when we launched, we started creating, well, first we just started creating like different, different, like minimum viable products just to like get things in the hands of customers. And we built some mobile travel guides and, uh, things that we didn't think were the big idea, but like got us to learn as much as we could. And we, uh, we gave our personal cell phone, my co-founder and I gave our personal cell phone number to 250,000 of the first users. And so this wasn't like some random Google voice number, or some customer service number, like my actual cell phone, my WhatsApp, my text. And we just said like, look, anytime you're planning a trip on a trip, coming back from a trip, hit us up. We love travel. We're here to help. And uh, thousands and thousands of conversations and like, you know, made me super annoying to live with, you know, for my wife. But uh uh, gave me more insight into like the psychology and the behavior of the modern traveler. Uh, and that shaped what we ended up building. And so the, the, we had, I could geek out for hours about like all the nuances and things we learned. Uh, but there were two, two big, like major ahas. One was if you love travel, you may only travel a few weeks of the year, but you think about travel every single day and there is no digital home for you. Like when you want when you want to just go find stuff, you have to just like go out and Google random things or like hope something pops up on your Facebook feed. But when you, when you, uh, look at every other interest you have, like if you're into sports, you have ESPN and bleacher report. And if you're into politics and, and news, you're like, you you know, your, your CNN app every day is keeping you in the know, whether you're dating or 
you know, using uh, or a gamer. Like there's all these like hubs of your interest, but there wasn't one for travel. That was kind of like your daily, daily dose of wanderlust. Uh, and then the other, the other big aha was that the average traveler spends 30 hours planning each trip. And everyone in the industry that we talked to saw that as a pain point. But we knew from talking to so many people that for most travelers, those 30 hours were an extension of their trip and they loved it. It was the anticipation of a trip that provided as much joy, if not more, than the trip itself. So everyone else was trying to say, oh, man, you spend 30 hours. How do we make that like 30 minutes and 30 seconds with like automation and concierge services and like AI recommendations? And uh, and we were like, how do we make 30 hours, 60 hours by making it way more bingeable and entertaining and, and useful? Uh, and so what we uh, and then, you know, with that, like with those 30 hours, like you don't want a single source of truth and travel like we like we talked about earlier, like travel is a very personal thing for all of us. And like we love not just what we do, but how we discover the things we do discover and picking the things that we think are going to give us the experience we're looking for. So you don't want someone to just come to tell you and be like, cool, do these 10 things on these three days. And there you go. You're good. You're good for it. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, so you don't want a single source of truth. Like you want to like read a bunch of content and triangulate what you're going to do. And so what we ended up building is uh, personalized, always up to date travel guides about the places and topics you care about. And so we've we've indexed and categorized every in real time every single piece of travel content in the world. So if bloggers come out with something or top publishers, we know about it. We know who it's for who it's relevant for, what time of year, what length of trip, uh, and what's the most engaging article, like what gets, what do people enjoy the most? And we build you a whole feed of that really entertaining content. And so you can go in and like, you know, if you're traveling with your wife and your two kids, or if you're going on a business trip or you're going by yourself, like you're going to have want different things and you're going to have different budgets and different interests. So we'll give you a feed of the stuff we know you'll like. And then all of the points of interest mentioned in that article or video is actually tagged back to our database of 100 million plus points of interest. So if you see anything you like, you just one tap and it saves it to your trip. So you have a list view and a map and you can build your own itinerary or just like have a big list of things you want to do on a map. You can download that map offline and then go use it to explore in destination. So we, like, we look at it as like, as soon as you're like kind of wanderlusting and like seeing where you want to go and start reading about it all the way to when you're planning and making decisions all the way to when you're walking around in town and you have a bunch of stuff on your map, um, like we're there the whole way. And then when you're done with your trip, like we have a whole feed of just things you should know, like, you know, it's perfect for your audience, but we have like, you know, when new credit cards with awesome point bonuses come out or when there's like really cool travel deals or just like articles about how to travel more sustainably or uh you know different new services or gear or industry news that would impact your trip we just constantly constantly keep you in the know uh on all of those those things i i love the idea of not wanting to make it less like the planning less and making it more because you're you know until you said that like when you said that i thought that's me you know, not that I want everything to be difficult, like, because there's a difference between spending time, 
more time doing something and it being enjoyable and spending more time doing it because it's difficult, right? Like I don't want to spend more hours trying to find the best article on what to do in Georgia. But when I find good articles about what to do in Georgia, I want to consume them and I want more and more and more. Like I don't, you know, I'll find a good article and it'll be great. Someone will break it down. 15 best places to eat in Tbilisi. And so it'll be like, oh yeah, cool, cool, cool. But that doesn't mean that I only want to hear from that person, right? Right. And so you're right. Like I want to consume more, but I don't, I want it to be easy to consume more. And, And I think when you said that, I thought that's me. Like I'll gladly spend 30 or 60 hours planning because that's fun like now when i'm home and i'm not on the trip i get to imagine being there which makes it more rich when i'm there because now all of a sudden i don't have to spend a ton of time when i'm there planning because i've already pre-planned or, or yeah, if i you am don't want to be you know I can you don't do want to be that person on the street that's like whole you know has google maps open and you're like what is you know cool there are all these four and a half star restaurants within walking right, distance right. which one should i go to yeah no you're you're spot on like it's the way people do it now is like you Google where to eat in Tbilisi and then you have a ton of articles that show up and the best content is never the most SEOable content. So the first page ranking of Google is going to be like TripAdvisor and like some very generic like USA Today or something. And like with TripAdvisor, like you're, when you're going to Georgia, you do not care what, you know, no offense to Debbie from Kansas, but you do not care what Debbie from Kansas thought was authentic Georgian cuisine you want to know what did the local food blogger and the local chefs, what did they say? So anyways, that's that's what we try to bring forward. But when you do those Google searches and you finally find those articles, what do you do? You you open a bunch of tabs, you read a bunch of stuff, you copy paste things into a, you know, a spreadsheet or a Word doc. Then you take each one of those things and you individually pin them to a Google map. And then you try to see where they are and what you could fit together. And it's like this huge cumbersome process and what you really enjoy, what you're saying is like, you want to keep reading articles and watching great videos, but you don't want to like do all that other logistics and then find out something's closed or whatever. So what we do is like, yeah, we just focus on the content. And as you're just swiping and watching and reading, it's just like, cool. Oh, that's great. Tap, save, tap, save. And then it's, it's all there for you, uh, to go, to go explore. And you can kind of use that to also just build like, a. a a, a backlog of things that, you know, when you're out there exploring, but like, oh yeah, yeah, there's a place I read that's actually just the one block over. Let's walk, you know, let's walk over there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, and, and, and I'm glad you used Georgia as an example because, uh, Georgia, I think is one of the most underrated travel destinations in the world. One of my favorite favorite places. Uh, and so I, uh, it's a place near and dear. Yeah, to my I heart. feel like I probably did it because maybe on your about page it was mentioned. I don't know why. I mean, I love it and it's my favorite country, but I feel like there's got to be something that I read when I was doing research about you and Georgia because I. I well, I regular. I mean, after you know, I've I've traveled to about uh, 100 countries, and you know, not that the number matters, but just for context, and uh, and so one of the questions I get more often than anything is like, what's your favorite country? And I think that's an impossible question to answer because it, I mean, one, it just depends on so much of like what you're doing on the trip, who you're with, why you're there, what mood you're in. Like, of course, there's a bunch of reasons why you can't really pick a favorite, but the reason people are asking is because they're like, well, where should I go? Is usually, there's usually a motive behind it. And so I always switch like, 
the kind of the question to uh and one of them is what is you know what's the most underrated country because it might not be on everyone's list um or you know what's most unique travel experiences or things like that but the reason i like that underrated question is because you're basically saying like what's an awesome place to travel that i don't already know about and like everyone knows to go to like you know spain or france or argentina but not i I just don't think georgia is on as many people's lists um i would add places like ethiopia to that as well where it's just phenomenal travel phenomenal food phenomenal people very cheap uh relative to other western places but uh i mean since since we're on it give us a list then what are what are a few i mean georgia ethiopia you got any other favorite I, I i'm gonna say favorite underrated places yeah because i like asking people their favorite and and i know i always get flack right but i say to people like yeah i know all that plays a role in if you liked it or not that's why i'm asking you you know what i mean like i'm asking yeah. you because yes if you were with your girlfriend and it was a great trip and you had the best food it plays a role i'm not saying like what's the best country for any human i'm just saying what did you like and so um but let, let's go on that a little bit because I love talking underrated destinations. Of course, Georgia, what, I mean, one of my, probably my favorite country anyway, but yes, very underrated. You mentioned Ethiopia. Any other places that that you think stick out to you as like, this is a bit off the beaten path. People don't know about it, but either it's going to blow up in the next couple of years or maybe it won't, but it should. Like it's got everything you would want as a traveler. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I would add... I would add Egypt to the list and I hesitate because it's not always underrated because everyone knows about like the pyramids and Luxor. But if you go beyond that and you go beyond the pyramids and the market in Cairo, it's one of the most fascinating cities I think, uh, in the world. Uh, and so I, I love, love Egypt. Spent a lot of time there. Uh, I would say Mozambique. Uh, I mean, some of the best beaches in the world will just, but it's untouched. And so you'd go places where you go like miles of just white sands and you never see a person, um, eat fresh fish right out of the water for almost nothing. Uh, Montenegro, as I Uh, think, you know, Croatia has gotten so much over tourism and Croatia is fantastic, but you just have so everyone knows to go to Croatia and going to Montenegro gives you a lot of that same experience, but with, uh, with a lot less crowds, uh, and, uh, even more affordable, uh, I, I think with that, like places like Bosnia nearby are just amazing place uh, destinations to visit. Uh, I loved Senegal and Tunisia. Just you know, anything on the Mediterranean is fun, but most people stay on the north side of the Mediterranean. The it, I can't. I mean, anywhere in Southeast Asia, like I just, it's, I find it hard to say. It's there. I don't think there's anything that's underrated because I don't. I've never met someone that hasn't said you know Vietnam or. Uh, you know, Philippines or Indonesia is not amazing, but right, it might be properly uh, rated, but it's amazing. Like yes. it's amazing, and people know about it, but it's still amazing. Yeah, I also think that like that most most people when they first go to Europe, they go as far east as Prague, and that's usually like yeah. the stopping point. <laughs> yeah, and I and, and I think east go any 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 city east of that. And I think it's some of the best travel in the world, like whether uh, anywhere in Poland or Hungary uh, or just or you know, Slovakia, like it just um, it is. Uh, I think that's like one of my favorite regions. Yeah, you don't have to twist well. my arm to get me to Eastern Europe. And I was just talking about Bulgaria earlier today. And Bulgaria is um, great. 
Yeah. So you're not twisting my arm when we talk Eastern Europe. That's a place you, that I... Were you need, in Bulgaria recently? I was not, and I have never been, but I, I have a friend who's been basically priming the pump for a year or two. He's Bulgarian. Um, and he was on this show. So if you guys are interested, he did a whole destination diary on Bulgaria uh, and he's from there. So he knows everything. And so uh, if you, if you go to Bulgaria, this will be a, my, my one tip. There's this place called Buzlitza. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it is, uh, to me is one of the just most fascinating, uh, sites I've seen in the world. So it's, it was essentially where all of the communist party leaders created this, like, for lack of a better way, like sounding like drunk history. It's like, it's basically like summer camp for like communist dictators. Uh, and they would, they would all go do their offsite. And it was just like massive, like spaceship looking structure that looked like straight out of a bond movie. It doesn't look real on the top of a mountain. And, uh, needless to say, it just like got, you know, it wasn't in use very long. And then obviously the Soviet union fell and just got completely abandoned. And it is, uh, it is just this most surreal thing that's completely started to like decay and like cave in, but it's still like very much this massive structure. Uh, and so I, I went uh, with a friend who is Bulgarian. This place, this place was on my list to check out for a while. And you know, it's completely sealed off. So you can't get in, but like we like tried for an hour to find a like a way to break in. And certainly there's always someone that like breaks one of the bolts or something. And so we found it and we had to like climb down this ladder through wade through some water and then get in and this is like this massive arena of just, you know, murals of all the, like communist propaganda and then just a bunch of graffiti artists has like kind of done their work on top of that. So, you know, there's like they change, you know, workers of the world unite to lurkers of the world unite. Uh, and, you know, they put sunglasses on, you know, like Marx or something. Uh, the uh, and it's just it's, it's just very fascinating. Looks like it's straight out of a Bond film. And then is on the top of mountains, so has incredible views, 360 views around, you know, the entire uh, mountain countryside. But yeah, that, I, I've seen that, it. That place is awesome. I've seen it, but I didn't know what it was called. But yes, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because my buddy was bringing it up. I'm like, what What are you t- nice. like? It's a spaceship on top of a mountain or not a sp- <laughs> spaceship like building on top of a mountain. And I looked at I'm like. Yeah, we'll be going there. Like, that's the type of travel you need to do. You know, I'm the one who wants to go to the abandoned buildings, you know, outside of Dubrovnik, the abandoned hotels, because for me, I'm like, this is, this is like crazy. It's like living in history, right? You're, you're like, someone thought this was a good idea and now it isn't. And who knows what it'll look like in 10 years or 20 years. Um, but it, it's always fun to do that kind of stuff. I, before we get back to talking about tri- Trip Scout a little bit, th- since we're talking about destinations, I had two questions I wanted to ask you, two specific things, because I think this is different and we can talk about traveling with children too. If you could snap your fingers right now and be dropped in one place without kids, like you were just able to go on a trip or an adventure and you didn't have the kids, wife, don't have the wife, I, it doesn't matter to me, but you don't have the kids, like I don't want to say holding you back, but we know what we mean. You know, you could you can get as adventurous as you want on this. What place would that be? Whether it's been somewhere you've been or somewhere you thought I, I want to get here. Like this is my next big adventure. Uh, it's, uh, Iran. Okay. That was easy. Uh, with a runner up Afghanistan. I've been wanting to travel there for, for a while. Okay, nice. So that makes sense without kids. I get, I like that then. All right. What if you could snap your fingers and be dropped in a place with the kids? You know, and we've taken the approach of 
we, I mean, we bring our kids, like my two and a half year old has already probably been to nearly 20 countries. Uh, and our one year old has already been to, I don't know, I mean, not one, like nine months has already been to five to 10, somewhere around there. So we try to take them anywhere. So I imagine it's, uh, it's anywhere that we'd want to go, <laughs> go ourselves. Uh, I just booked a trip. Uh, my next upcoming trip is to Portugal. So I would probably say, I guess by default, it would be, uh, it would be Portugal just based on uh, actions. But I would say I would also add uh, Tokyo, Sydney, Cape Town. <laughs> it's hard to get one uh, or Cape Town. Okay, nice. And then what? Actually, you know what? You know uh, the uh, a lot of the stands like uh, Uzbekistan and Tajikistan have been uh, very high on my list, and those are places I'd absolutely take kids. So I'll I'll, I'll change it to. Because I, I haven't been. I've only been to a couple of the stands. But Tajikistan and Uzbekistan would be the place I would go. With All right. Stands. Interesting, because mine without the kids would be the stands. So I haven't been to any of them. And I'm not saying I wouldn't take the kids. But to me, like, the way I think I'd want to do that, I like, I just would want to go and not care about anything and not have any plans or, or very few plans and just kind of take it as it comes, which, again, you can we know you can do with kids. But... It's you know it, it's different. It would be a different type of trip, and you so, can take it out as it comes, as long as you have uh, as long as you have meals and naps. Right, <laughs> meals, naps, hand, diapers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. So for me, that whole like, where would I be without the kids? Would be, I'd go through stands. I would just yeah, I take a month, whatever, two months, you know, however long I had, and just just bump around and and yeah. and take it as it comes. And um, where would you be with with kids? With kids is a God, that's a good. I mean, I know I asked you, so I should have th- I should have prepared for it to be thrown <laughs> back. I think uh, Portugal is a great answer. I I would love to go back to Portugal, and I've I love Portugal itself, and you know I think it'd be great with the kids anywhere right now with a beach. Uh, you know we have a t- almost two and a half or two and a half year old, so and and a six month old. So basically, where you're at anywhere with a beach. The kids, I mean, I love anywhere with the beach. My wife loves anywhere with the beach. And the kids, we have just found, especially our two-year-old. I mean, he, it's like a great playground. It's like nature's playground, you know? Instead of having them inside the house, you're in Chicago, I'm in Philadelphia, it's winter, right? Like, having them in the house stinks. Yeah, we get them outside, you bundle up in like eight layers and go outside. When you're anywhere with the beach and it's nice out, it's great. You're like, hey, we can spend all day outside on the beach. We can enjoy the beach and you can just, you know, you're free. Um... I, I, I hear you. One of, uh, one of the, uh, things my wife and I have committed to do, uh, this year, we're like, we're going to get our kids outside every single day, regardless of how cold it is just to, you know, have more nature time. And it is, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, right? Like, especially if you come home work from late, uh, late from work and it's, it's <laughs> freezing temperatures. Yeah. It's, it's so much harder. And, and certainly you don't get that just that you know rush from just all that vitamin d and water that uh is is so great are you uh just to ask you another question about that are you with kids a uh, a rock beach or a sand beach uh uh preferred? sand beach preferred yeah sand beach I, I, uh, I, I, you're, you're opposite no, no no well i was gonna say that i've always been a hundred i mean spending a lot of time in europe i always just like didn't like the rock beaches i loved sand and then uh when we went with, you know, the, the bait, it was, you know, I think, uh, our youngest was three months old and our oldest was two years old. Uh, when we went this summer to, 
Croatia, Montenegro, Bosnia, Albania. Uh, we, uh, we, you know, it was almost all rock beaches and like with kids, like afterwards, it was just so much more easy. Like there wasn't sand everywhere, sand in our bags. Like I was like, Oh, this, I actually see the, the upside of, uh, of rock beaches when you have little kids who, you know, want to, uh, you know, just to have everything in their, you know, in their diaper and in their mouth. So <laughs> that is a good call that I, I will. So recently we've been going down to Florida on the Gulf coast and the sand is so powder and fine. It's so easy to get it off. So it's like sand, but you know, I mean, it gets, it gets places, but it's not, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we go to the beach here in, in Jersey or something that sand will stick to you forever. Right. And it gets everywhere here. Like, all right, get out of the powdery sand, wipe them off. All right, no big deal. Um, but I do agree we were at a rock beach with Wit, and uh, I forget wh- exactly where it was. But, yeah, we, we left, and we thought, whoa, this is easy. It, like, it's not all stuck to them. So I can see the benefit of that of that as well, for sure. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about Trip Scout, because you mentioned that you gave out your phone number to the first 250,000 people who, who got on Trip Scout. How did you grow to that number because that i assume is one of the hardest and correct me if i'm wrong getting that type of momentum and getting kind of that push right and that market penetration into you know having that many users so you can have the data how are you able to build it from an idea into people actually using it yeah and then and yeah now we're we're many more uh users so it's and that's it, and honestly, like that's the challenge with any company you start. But I think it's especially challenging in travel because you have companies like Priceline and Expedia, who each spend four billion dollars a year in marketing, so they kind of crowd uh, crowd out the, the space and then also make it uh, make it expensive. So the the initial, we, I mean, it was there wasn't one silver bullet. Um, the uh, I think first and foremost, like we try to solve actual problems for travelers. And so we created good products, but then also, um, you know, the first big batch of, uh, users came from the, you know, the people that have been following my travels. So that certainly helped. Then we're able to get a decent amount of press around it. Apple, you know, liked the product and featured us, uh, a few times in the app store, uh, so that helps. So that we had a lot of things of just that, you know, got us our like our initial start. But one of the things we also realized uh, when just talking to thousands of users, we noticed an interesting shift where people started uh, searching on Instagram before they started searching on Google. And so we saw this like fundamental shift happening with like the first stop of looking into where you want to travel. And so we really we really leaned in heavily to that. You know, TripAdvisor became the size that they are now because they nailed SEO search, you know, search optimization in 2001 in the early days of Google. And we realized, like, we have an opportunity to do that for Instagram that none of the other companies were doing. Uh, and so we we leaned heavily into that, and we built. Uh, we now have a few million Instagram followers across uh, some multiple travel accounts. Uh, but, uh, that has been a huge source of our own, uh, uh, our own growth. Cause we, I mean, we try not to, we do a lot of creative stuff, but we, we don't, we don't pay for marketing or very rarely do we, do we pay just because, um, in travel, it's not usually as cost effective because you have a lot of major multi-billion dollar travel companies doing that. So 
that that's how we got our start. And then the rest, I think, has just been a lot of, you know, word of mouth. And we rank really well in the app store because we have so much engagement on our app. We actually rank top five in all content uh, in their top magazines and newspapers. So, I mean, that's we think about top five. We're usually ahead of like the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, trial, uh, you know, People magazine, uh, some, you know, some of the top publications uh, and it's just because people come to our, you know, come to our app and then uh, spend a lot more time. It's which seems obvious that you'd rather read about cool places that you love and that you want to go to than uh, you know the latest Trump tweet. But uh, it's uh, it that you know that's now like one of our biggest drivers of of growth. And and how long? When did Trip Scout launch? Like how long has it been around? Yeah. So the product that you see now that after we like realized that vision is about, uh, two years old, a year and a half old. Uh, but we, we got together almost four years, you know, when I launched the company about four years ago to, uh, to, 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 you know, basically lead this cultural shift in travel. We just didn't know exactly how it would be, how it would be done, but started, you know, getting together, and uh, and getting things in the hands of customers and having all those conversations and starting to to build what ultimately we now have. Yeah, what was the initial? I want to say what was the initial vision for Trip Scout and how has it changed? Like as you mentioned, you talked to a lot of people and they told you what they wanted and what they didn't. So what did you kind of picture it being in the beginning? Yeah. So the, the in the beginning, the main vision was, and the, and I took a long game approach with this. Like I kind of talked about earlier where it's like, look, I want to marry both these passions of entrepreneurship and travel. So the big initial vision was, all right, this is what I'm committed to. And I'm going to, I'm going to build the best thing for travelers. Uh, and so that was much more open-ended and not specific. Um, the very first product we put out there, uh, which, uh, was we did some self-guided audio tours so we actually worked with some uh some walking tour uh operators or tour guides and created a self-guided tour around different parts of uh or the top you know top travel destinations kind of like uh like you'd see in like the kind of things you have in a museum but you would actually have it throughout the entire city and it would be uh, on your mobile phone and uh people you know people love that like we uh we you know, we were selling them and, you know, we were getting really, really great feedback. A lot of people buying them, but, uh, you know, ultimately that was, that wasn't where we thought the big, big vision was. Um, but it was a great starting point. And then what made you, how did you decide to make the shift to what it is now? Yeah. I mean, we just realized, I mean, there was, there's just, there was so much of a bigger opportunity. Like I, the way that I see trip scout evolving is like what, you know, what TripAdvisor did for the dot-com, we plan on being that for the next generation of travel uh, travelers. Like, we want to be your entertainment hub. We want to keep you in the know about all the places and topics you care about, uh, all of your upcoming trips, as well as things around you in your home city. Uh, you know, one of the things that we do, for example, is when you search for places. So if you're searching for, you know, pizza in New York City, our search algorithms rank things based on people in the know that reviewed them. So instead of having here are the masses of tourists who all probably, you know, came on a, you know, half of them came on a tour bus and they ate at Sabaro Pizza in Times Square rating the place. Like ours is based on what an eater and the infatuation and this local pizza blogger. And we index 
more towards the people who have a very authoritative voice on that subject. And so your search results, your first one will be, you know, these are what the people who really know recommend as opposed to like, this is what the masses of every tourist recommend. Awesome. I love it because I love Eater. Eater is one of my favorite sites. Eater's great. And obviously, again, it's one source. Now now they have a lot of writers. So it is kind of cool there because it is you know, it's, they're vetted and all that kind of stuff. And it isn't just one person's blog, but I'm with you. Like I, if I go to Eater and they tell me there's a good place, I'm going to believe that because they've told me about other places that I've, you know, it's, it's trusted. It's known they're food writers. They know what they're doing. Not to say it's perfect. Yeah. There's, a, but there, is, there are, there's a lot of noise and clickbait and content marketing and travel, but there also are a lot of great writers and publications and travel and so like in new york city eater phenomenal the infatuation phenomenal like there's a lot of like you will trust them because like you said like that's what they're doing they their writers live in that city and their job is to go eat at a bunch of places and write about it and they're not not like the the old school way of where you send one writer to a whole country and they kind of give like all of their recommendations after being there for a month um it is, uh, those are the people that I trust. Like, you know, if a writer from Eater, I think is hands down going to be better than a review from TripAdvisor. Yeah, for sure. What then led to the formation? Because I know that you guys got investors and that was like a big step too. What was the thought behind that? And what has that ha- allowed you to do as a company? Yeah. And so, I mean, with, with the vision that we have, we're not going to be able to do it without bringing really smart people and extra resources around the table. And uh, like I said, we want to be the best voice in travel for the best, the next generation of travelers. And, uh, and so, yeah, we, uh, we realized that it would be much more strategic to bring on some, some good investors to do that. And uh, we got some really good people uh, on the tables around the table. So our, you know, our lead investor was you know, the founder of uh, OKCupid and then CEO of Match.com, which ran Tinder. Uh, and when you think about it, like what we're doing, I think is much more akin to dating than it is to what the traditional travel companies have done. Because we're matching on a personal basis people to, to what they should be reading or what they should be doing, not necessarily other people. But uh, so that's that. Uh, we also had uh, our first investor was in this fund in San, in San Francisco and LA called Village Global, and their yeah their investors that fund you know that basically fund the the fund is like Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, kind of the who's who of of tech. And so yeah, we 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 are fortunate to have some uh, really great operators, really connected people that uh, believed in our vision, believed in our strategy, believed in us, and uh, gave us some some resources to go make it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. What about the logo? Because I love the logo. If you guys are unfamiliar, you describe what the logo is or, and how it came about if, if they don't know, because part of a good company, not that it's necessary, is a good logo, especially though as an app. And so yours, like it sticks out. And, and it's, it's, it's very distinct. It's funny you say that. You're going to um, change it? <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. It, it is. Uh, so the idea of the logo, it was like just kind of like a, a modern traveler. It was like sort of a hipster looking face. It worked well. Like people, like I feel like people resonated with it or didn't like it. I mean, the thing that I don't like about it is 
uh, and and we're actually, and you know, this is I'm happy to be open about this kind of stuff, like because you know we're a startup that likes to share our ups and downs and our journey. Like, I I do not love the logo because I think travel is such a inclusive activity, and so when your logo is specifically male and specific, I mean, obviously it's an icon, so it's not really a race, but like, it looks like a white male. Um, and so like, I, so I've actually like, I've actually gone down the process of, uh, you know, evaluating other, uh, other potentials. And, and honestly, we've tried a few that actually just, they just don't perform near, <laughs> near as well. So we've kind of stuck with it for now, but I think, I think it will have a, uh, it will have a, uh, a more gender neutral and, uh, race neutral upgrade at some point. Um, but you know, we're, uh, we're a startup that is trying to build a lot of really great things really quickly. So it, it, it's not always, uh, the highest priority, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we're, we're evaluating, uh, as, as we speak. I yeah. think you're right. Like, obviously it, it, yeah, it's a character, but it's a white male. And so I do think, yeah, if you're looking at it from an inclusivity lens, it, it might be difficult. I just re- saw Some people it. say it looks like the breaking bad. Guy. Well, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. It looks like Heisenberg or, or whatever, Brian Cranston's yeah. character, yeah. which is what I thought. And I kind of, I don't know it when it's on my phone, it sticks out. Like there's a few apps that I always think are each other, right? I can't even <laughs> think of the ones that I'm thinking about right now. I'd have to look at my phone, but there's a few where I like go to hit it. And then I'm like, wait, that's the other one. They look too much alike. This one yep. doesn't. So um, I will give well, you that. I, I um, appreciate that. Yeah, but, I mean, and that's, uh, yeah, that's, I I mean, I think that's what's important a lot of times too, is that it's, it's memorable, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, before I let you get out of here, I want to know two things. One, I, I, I want to go back to places again, because I love the underrated discussion we had. And maybe maybe you're going to skewer me for asking this because you, you didn't want to answer the or you said it was tough to answer the favorite places one. I want to know about some underwhelming places. And again, we could throw the caveats out there. It's who you're with. It's the weather. I, I get it. Like there are places like for me, it's Penang, Malaysia. I went and everyone said I was going to love it. It was going to be my favorite place on earth. And it was okay. And that's fine. You know, it was the end of an 18-day backpacking trip, my first one ever. It was raining all the time. Wasn't for me, right? Um, Or it wasn't for me at that point. So I get a little bit of blowback sometimes when I ask this, but I want to know, because you've been to a ton of places, you've done a lot of traveling. Where for you kind of strikes a chord with that of of somewhere maybe you had really high expectations and for whatever reason, it it fell a little flat? You know, that's... uh... That is a great question. I, and my wife and I actually had this conversation recently where I'm pretty much done going to any major destination in a peak season. And it's hard because you're like, cool, it's summer. Let's take our summer trip. I've always wanted to go to Dubrovnik. Let's go. And I just think, like, I don't think it's necessarily the city's fault but because of so much over tourism there are just so many places that like you go there and it's not it's not a destination anymore it's just like an over it's a open air you know like museum and souvenir shop and uh and so places like you know i was in dubrovnik recently like i think dubrovnik 
has the foundations of like one of the best travel places. It's beautiful. The food is great. It's right on the water. There's like, it's just the culture is great. Restaurants are world class. Like, but you know, if you go there in the summer, it's just, you won't see there's like, I like to travel because I like to, you know, go a little bit outside my comfort zone. I like to learn about cultures. I like to learn about history. I like to interact with people. People are the foundation of like why I want what I want to do. And when everyone you come across is either a tourist or someone selling something or serving food to tourists, um, it's just like you know it doesn't have that same effect. So I, to me, it's 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 more so of any place that uh, that any place that is on the list of you know over tourism areas and during their like busier season i would add to it um there hasn't been a destination i didn't like except for uh uh i i absolutely despised uh kuda in bali you know the city that's right next to the airport like that that <laughs> bali's bali has great stuff or, but uh that city i was just like get me out of here as soon as possible um but yeah it's uh I think another good question with that is like what, you know, when you talk about like travel experiences and what I just said, like wanting to get outside your comfort zone, like that's why like I love like, And that's probably why I mentioned, you know, maybe like the Af- Afghanistan or something, but uh, like places that I went recently, like Papua New Guinea or Somalia, like those are places that like you still feel like the world is fascinating and you don't have it all figured out. Uh, so yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go, to more of those types of places or even just like a small town outside of Dubrovnik instead of going to Dubrovnik. Um, unless it's like in the middle of winter and nobody's wants to go there. And then, then I think it's a good time to go. Yeah. I think that's, and I think that's great advice for people who, who are flexible enough, like, like you and I both are and, and don't have to be a certain place at a certain time for the most part. Yeah. Traveling in the off season, even shoulder season to some of these popular places i mean paris is always going to be packed let's say you could go in the winter you can go in the summer you know it's always gonna be packed but and i think there's value in seeing it but there are times you can go when it's less packed or cheaper or you know whatever you're looking for um and then trying to push yourself a little bit to say all right what's the next and and this isn't always easy but trip scout can help with it right like what's the next prog Oh, the next Prague is Budapest. Okay, well, now Budapest is getting back. What's the next one? Oh, it's Krakow. You know, whatever. Like, there will always be a level or 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 the next thing that's on the horizon. And, you know, one of the ways to find that out is just by doing research. And, and you know, again, reading different things. And it's not like none of us will be the first person in a certain area to discover it, right? Like, we can talk about Georgia all we want, and it's undiscovered. I was not the first traveler, travel blogger to go there. You were not the first person to go there, right? People told us about it. But if you keep your ear to the ground a bit, you're going to find these places that goes back to that underrated or or under the radar places. Um, for me, too, that's that's where it is, right? That's that's kind of brings you back to the essence of travel because it isn't, you know, people serving tourists and these people don't see a ton of tourists. And that's what makes it fun because it makes it more authentic then. Um for you then, last question for you. What is the biggest travel mishap that you've run into? Whether whether this be recently or or at any point during your travels, can you think of one that sticks out? Uh, so I one those are always the best stories for sure. Um, I 
I actually think that, uh, and, and I think there's like some stigma that like you travel a lot, you just like have it all figured out. Um, these are, these are not huge mishaps, but I, I've had multiple times where I've, um, I booked the flight for the wrong, uh, <laughs> wrong day or the hotel for the wrong day. I mean, in the past, like in the past two years, I like, I, I like to do a lot of alternative route flight hacking. So I'll like, you know, as a way to like, not only save money, but just see other destinations. So I had, I had a, I wanted to go to Helsinki and I, and I needed to go to Budapest for something. So I booked a round trip flight to Helsinki and then a round trip flight from Helsinki to Budapest. And, uh, and I accidentally booked it from Budapest to Helsinki and then back. So I was like, you know, obviously it didn't, didn't really work. Uh, I've also had times where I've shown up in cities at, you know, um, midnight got to my hotel and they're like, yeah, we don't have a reservation for you. And I'm like, yes, you do. Here's my confirmation. It's like for the next month. Uh, and, uh, and then like there happens to be some major conference in town and every hotel room's booked. And so I just like have to, you know, sleep on, uh, you know, on a bench or a random couch. Uh, I think one, one recently, um, that, and I was actually with my co-founder. Um, we were flying and, and good friend for 13 years. So we, uh, we went to Papua New Guinea and we, we, it was just a thing we want to do where we want to just go down the Sepik river. And, uh, it's a kind of like their version of the Nile and, uh, or the Amazon, like one of their iconic rivers that goes through the country. And, uh, we just found some <laughs> random guy who had a little, uh, motor, like motorized canoe. And we just, were going to start going down and, like stopped at a bunch of random villages along the way that were not like these people haven't seen a tourist and uh and like in some cases ever because we were just going with some local guy who lived there we were getting on the we got on the canoe we were starting to go down the uh you know down the river and uh we just like for some reason never thought about this like you always think about like southeast asia or africa and you think about malaria um and we, uh, we just never thought about it. And then we're like, wait, we're on a river, um, kind of near the equator. And we're like, D we turned to the guy, you know, he spoke a little bit of English, you know, and he said, do you, uh, do you guys have a lot of malaria here? And he's like, oh yes, yes. Very much malaria. I'm like, oh, um, so that means you like probably like know how to deal with it and prevent it and, <laughs> you know, medicate it. Right. He's like, Oh no, most, most get malaria. Most, most do. And we're like, Oh, so you have like, you know, a lot of good, like medicine for afterwards. <laughs> He's like, Oh no, a lot of people die. And we're like, uh, that's, <laughs> so we ended up, uh, uh, you know, finding this like random, like the only people there that are not from Papua New Guinea are like a few Chinese merchants that have like these little shops and like do some trade. So we found this little Chinese shop that uh had these like you know long pants that we bought and then they sold like pure deet um like like extra grade like probably would never be legally sold in the u.s or uh or europe uh and so we just you know bought that and just smothered it all over ourselves and so you know we probably had like all kinds of like cancer stuff that are probably that uh, we're at risk for for the future but at least we escaped malaria but that's a perfect example of like I'm someone who's supposed to know about travel. I write about travel. I talk, I tell people about travel. Uh, and you know, sometimes I forget to just, uh, randomly look up that I'm supposed to. I do that pills. all the time. I was actually sitting, uh, with a friend's parent 
last night and she's like oh you're going to panama you know do the kids have to get any shots or anything like that i'm like i don't know she's like what do you mean you don't know like i have no idea i didn't think about it well why didn't you think about it i'm just like i don't know i'm not used to traveling with kids i don't get shots i don't care you know and i'm not saying people shouldn't i i don't feel one way or another i'm just very ambivalent towards it and i did think wait a second like i might have to be more on my game if we're traveling with these kids, especially young kids, you know, same age as yours. So I did think, all right, Trav, you, you know, you should step it up a little bit. Like, you, you know, I'll have to look into it. But I'm with you. It just, it, it doesn't even cross my mind, you know? For me, it's like, all right, do I have a plane ticket? Okay, what's the weather like? Should I wear shorts or pants? Okay, let's go. You know, and that's that's that. So, um, that being said, though, um, you know, knock on wood, out of 100 countries, like, nothing has really happened. And like a lot of those are third world countries that are, you know, on the news would say is not safe. And, uh, I think I've, I've been robbed once in my life while traveling and it was just like someone broke into my room. Uh, and so I didn't, it didn't like, wasn't, wasn't like personally mugged. Um, and I was once out of all travel while I was like given things all the time and free places to stay. So like, I feel like I met it out on the positive and yet, while in my, you know, when I've lived in Chicago or Washington, D.C., I've had my car broken into like five times already. So it's one of those things that like, yes, you'll make mistakes. Yes, you'll forget to do something very stupid that you shouldn't do. Uh, yes, you should learn from it. But also, like, usually things work out all right and the world's a much safer place than we'd ever, uh, ever imagine until we actually go out and experience it. Yeah, for sure. And and I think that that's one of the issues of looking into what should I like what what shot should I get what should I do because if you look you know if you follow certain organizations and look into it you should get a shot eighteen shots every single country you go to right so I think maybe a little bit of the hubris comes there of like all right well I know I shouldn't be doing this you know what I mean like I shouldn't be getting a thousand shots so I'm not going to do any. Um, so that being said, I do if I if I do remember to go to the doc, I do tell them give me every shot shot I should have ahead of time. But yeah, no, I uh, I, I hear you, um, and I also hear you that uh, there's a lot of things I did that now that I have kids, I uh, have completely uh, changed just because you realize that there's something more important at stake than than yourself. Right, right, for sure. Um, what do you guys have coming up in the pipeline then for Trip Scout? Well, we, uh, so we've focused the product on the top 100 destinations as we are just like constantly refining like this, the backend technology of, you know, essentially having the real time index of every piece of travel content and every point of interest in the world. Um, but we've built the technology to work everywhere. And so very, very soon we are going to open that up, uh, to, to every place in the world. So that's going to be big. And then the other, the other thing is like, we, we know that like when, when people get into the experience, like they're extremely engaged, uh, and, and they stick around for a long time. And so right now we're honestly, it's, you know, it's sounds simple and, but we're, we're just running like hundreds of tests on how do we make it easy, an easier process to get started. You know, like with the onboarding, 
with a personalized guide that gets created for you with the ability to save sites and the ability to organize your itinerary. Um, we're realizing like we're not we're not missing a lot of fundamentally fundamental things. We're just we just need to make uh, keep making it a, a, a more pleasant, user friendly, simple experience. So a lot of you know it's it's really just you know combining the the back end complexity with front end just simplicity. Awesome. Awesome. And not easy to do when you have an app Uh, in case anyone looks at apps and says like, oh, this is so simple, right? Like it's supposed to feel that way. As you said, front end simplicity, right? Not the way it always looks in the back end though, especially not as you mentioned when you're covering at this point, you know, one of your goals, every point of interest in the world. That's, that's a pretty, uh, pretty big list, my man. Pretty big. It's, uh, there was one writer, I forget who said it now. I think it was a writer, but who said, you know, who wrote a really long letter to someone and said, uh, I, I apologize. I would have wrote a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Uh, it takes a lot more effort to, to be simple and concise. For sure. For sure. Well, thank you, Conrad, for joining me today for not only talking about the future of travel, but, but helping make it brighter through Trip Scout and all the other good work that you're doing. Remind people one more time, how can they get the Trip Scout app? Also, how can they come connect with you if they want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you just search Trip Scout in the App Store, you'll find it. Um, we'll be in Android soon. We've just been hyper focused on doing one thing at a time. So uh, download Trip Scout by just searching for it. And then if you want to find me, I am uh, at Go Conrad, G O K O N R A D. So it's Conrad with a K on Instagram and Twitter. And I always, you know, true to my giving my personal number out, I, I try to engage with anyone who has any travel related questions and yeah i also just launched recently the the school of travel podcast so you can check me out there but uh yeah pretty much anywhere anywhere you're looking just search my name i'll probably pop up awesome thank you so much and guys remember we can we'll link everything up in the show notes so you can go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows and uh and find that um and you know get to this episode Find all the stuff that we mentioned. You can find Trip Scout inside the App Store. And thanks again, Conrad. Really, really appreciate you taking time out of your day uh, to come chat with me. We could have chatted for much longer. Why have you come back on some other time? We'll talk about traveling with kids and all that good stuff. Um, but appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, Trip Scout just making the world easier, the world of travel easier and and better. It's just awesome, man, when people put good stuff out in the world. So I want to thank you for that personally. Thanks for having me, and thanks for all you do to, to educate travelers around the world. Thank you, everyone listening, uh, for tuning in today for the continued support that makes us a number one rated travel podcast out there. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels. I'll show you At over 1.5 million square feet, Malbork Castle is the largest castle in the entire world.
and it's located in, drum roll please, Poland. 